The Legacy, Chapter 2, Together The river Serbran, flowing in a valley far below him, Drizzt entered the eastern gate of Mithril Hall early that same afternoon. Cattery had skipped in some time before him to await the surprise of his return. The dwarven guards welcomed the drow ranger as though he were one of their own bearded kin. Drizzt could not deny the warmth that flowed through him at their open welcome, though it was not unexpected since Bruner's people had accepted him as a friend since their days in Icewind Dale. Drizzt needed no escort in the winding corridors of Mithril Hall, and he wanted none, preferring to be alone with the many emotions and memories that came over him when he crossed this section of the upper complex. He moved across the new bridge of Garum's Gorge. It was a structure of beautiful arching stone that spanned hundreds of feet across the deep chasm. In this place, Drizzt had lost Bruner forever, or so he had thought, for he had seen the dwarf spiral down into the lightless depths on the back of a flaming dragon. He couldn't avoid a smile as the memory flowed to completion. It would take more than a dragon to kill mighty Bruner Battlehammer. As he neared the end of the long expanse, Drizzt noticed the new guard towers, begun only ten days before, were nearly completed, the industrious dwarves having gone at their work with absolute devotion. Still, every one of the busy dwarven workers looked up to regard the drow's passing and give Drizzt a word of greeting. Drizzt headed for the main corridors leading out of the immense chamber south of the bridge, the sound of even more hammers leading the way. Just beyond the chamber, past the small anteroom, he came into a wide, high corridor, practically another chamber in itself, where the best craftsmen of Mithril Hall were hard at work, carving into the stone wall the likeness of Brunner Battlehammer, in its appropriate place beside sculptures of Brunner's royal ancestors, the seven predecessors of his throne. Fine work, eh, Drow? came a call. Drizzt turned to regard a short, round dwarf with a short, clipped yellow beard barely reaching the top of his wide chest. Well met, Cobble. Drizzt greeted the speaker. Bruner recently had appointed the dwarf holy cleric of the halls, a valued position indeed. Fitting? Cobble asked as he indicated the twenty-foot-high sculpture of Mithril Hall's present king. For Bruner, it should be a hundred feet tall, Drizzt replied, and the good-hearted Cobble shook with laughter. The continuing roar of it echoed behind Drizzt for many steps as he again headed down the winding corridors. He soon came to the upper level's hall area, the city above the wondrous undercity. Caterbury and Wolfgar roomed in this area, as did Brunner most of the time, as he prepared for the spring trading season. Most of the other 2,500 dwarves of the clan were far below in the mines and in the undercity, but those in this region were the commanders of the house guard and the elite soldiers. Even Drizzt, so welcomed in Brunner's home, could not go to the king unannounced and unescorted. A square-shouldered rock of a dwarf with a sour demeanor and a long brown beard that he wore tucked into a wide jeweled belt led Driz down the final corridor to Bruner's upper-level audience hall. General Dagna, as he was called, had been a personal attendant of King Harbrums of Citadel Adbar, the mightiest dwarven stronghold in the Northland. But the gruff dwarf had come in at the head of Citadel Adbar's forces to help Bruner reclaim his ancient homeland, with the war won, most of the Adbar dwarves had departed, but Dagna and 2,000 others had remained after the cleansing of Mithril Hall, swearing fealty to Clan Battlehammer and giving Bruner a solid force with which to defend the riches of the dwarven stronghold. Dagna had stayed on with Bruner to serve as his advisor and military commander, 
He professed no love for Drizzt, but certainly would not be foolish enough to insult the drow by allowing a lesser attendant to escort Drizzt to see the Dwarven King. I told you he'd be back! Drizzt heard Bruner grumbling from beyond the open doorway as they approached the audience hall. The elf not be missing such a thing as your wedding! I see they are expecting me, Drizzt remarked to Dagna. We heard you was about from the folks of Settlestone, the gruff general replied, not looking back at Drizzt as he spoke. Figured you'd come in any day. Drizzt knew that the general, a dwarf among dwarves, as the others had said, had little use for him or for anyone, Wolfgar and Caterbury included, who was not a dwarf. The dark elf smiled, though, for he was used to such prejudice and knew that Dagna was an important ally for Brunner. Greetings. Drizzt said to his three friends as he entered the room. Brunner sat on his stone throne, Wolfgar and Caterbury flanking him. So you made it, Caterbury said absently, feigning disinterest. Drizzt smirked at their running secret. Apparently, Caterbury hadn't told anyone that she'd met him just outside the eastern door. We had not planned for this, added Wolfgar, a giant of men with huge corded muscles, long flowing blonde locks, and eyes the crystal blue of the Northland sky. I pray that there may be an extra seat at the table. Drizzt smiled and bowed low in apology. He deserved their chiding, he knew. He'd been away a great deal lately, for ten days at a time. Bah, snorted the red-bearded Bruner. I told you he'd come back, and back to stay this time. Drizzt shook his head, knowing he would soon go out again, searching for something. You hunting for the assassin, elf? He heard Bruner ask. Never, Drizzt thought immediately. The dwarf referred to Artemis and Treri, Drizzt's most hated enemy, a heartless killer as skilled with the blade as the drow ranger, and determined, obsessed, to defeat Drizzt. And Treri and Drizzt had battled in Calimport, a city far to the south, with Drizzt luckily winning the upper hand before events drove them apart. Emotionally, Drizzt had brought the unfinished battle to its conclusion and had freed himself from a similar obsession against Entreri. Drizzt had seen himself in the assassin, had seen what he might have become had he stayed in Menzoberranzan. He could not stand the image, hungered only to destroy it. Caterbury, dear and complicated Caterbury, had taught Drizzt the truth about Entreri and about himself. If he never saw Entreri again, Drizzt would be a happier person indeed. I've no desire to meet that one again, Drizzt answered. He looked to Caterbury, who sat impassively. She sought Drizzt a sly wink to show that she understood and approved. There are too many sights in the wide world, Drear Dwarf, Drizzt went on, that cannot be seen from the shadows, many sounds more pleasant than the ring of steel, and many smells preferable to the stench of death. Cook another feast, Bruner snorted, hopping up from his stone seat. Surely Elf has his eyes fixed on another wedding. Driz let the remark pass by without remark. Another dwarf rushed into the room, then exited, pulling Dagna out behind him. A moment later, the flustered general returned. What is it? Brunner grumbled. Another guest, Dagna explained, and even as he spoke, a halfling, round in the belly, bopped into the room. Regis, cried a surprised Caterbury, and she and Wolfgar rushed over to greet their friend. Unexpectedly, the five companions were together again. Rumblebelly! Brunner shouted his customary nickname for the always hungry halfling. 
What in the nine hills? What indeed, Driz thought, curious that he had not spotted the traveler on the trails outside Mithril Hall. The friends had left Regis behind in Calimport, more than a thousand miles away. At the head of the Thieves' Guild, the companions had all but decapitated in rescuing the halfling. Did you believe I would miss this occasion? Regis huffed, acting insulted that Brunner even doubted him. The wedding of two of my dearest friends. Caterbury threw a hug on him, which he seemed to enjoy immensely. Brunner looked curiously at Drizzt and shook his head when he realized that the drow had no answers for this surprise. How would you know? The dwarf asked the halfling. You underestimate your fame, King Brunner, Regis replied, gracefully dipping into a bow that sent his belly dropping over his thin belt. The bow made him jingle as well, Drizzt noted. When Regis dipped, a hundred jewels in a dozen fat pouches tinkled. Regis had always loved fine things, but Drizzt had never seen the halfling so garishly bedecked. He wore a gem-studded jacket and more jewelry than Drizzt had ever seen in one place, including the magical hypnotic ruby pendant. Might you be staying long? Caterbury asked. I am in no hurry, Regis replied. Might I have a room? he asked Brunner. To put my things and rest away the weariness of the long road. We'll see to it. Caterbury assured him as Drizzt and Brunner exchanged glances once more. They both were thinking the same thing. It was unusual for a master of a backstabbing, opportunistic thieves' guild to leave his place of power for any length of time. And for your attendance? Brunner asked, a loaded question. Oh, stammered the halfling. I, I came alone. The southerners do not take well to the chill of a northern spring, you know. Well, off with you then commanded Brunner. Sure it be me turn to set out a feast for the pleasure of your belly. Driz took a seat beside the dwarf king as the other three scooted out of the room. Few folk in Calimport have ever heard of me name, elf, Brunner remarked when he and Drizzt were alone. And who south alongside would be knowing of the wedding? Brunner's sly expression showed that the experienced dwarf agreed exactly with Driz's feeling. Sure, and the little one brings a bit of his treasure along with him, eh? The dwarf king asked. He is running, Drizzt replied. Got himself into trouble again, Brunner snorted. Or I'm a bearded gnome. Five meals a day, Brunner muttered to Drizzt after the drow and the halfling had been in Mithril Hall for a ten day. And helpings bigger than a half-sized one should hold. Drizzt, always amazed by Regis's appetite, had no answer for the dwarf king. Together they watched Regis from across the hall, stuffing bite after bite into his greedy mouth. Good thing we're opening new tunnels, Brunner grumbled. I'll be needing a fair supply of mithril to keep that one fed. As if Brunner's reference to the new explorations had been a cue, General Dagna entered the dining hall apparently not interested in eating. The gruff, brown-bearded dwarf waved away an attendant and headed straight across the hall toward Drizzt and Brunner. That was a short trip, Brunner remarked to Drizzt when they noticed the dwarf. Dagna had gone out just that morning, leading the latest scouting group to the new explorations in the deepest mines far to the west of the Undercity. Trouble or treasure? Drizzt asked rhetorically, and Brunner only shrugged, always expecting and secretly hoping... For both. Me king, 
Dagna greeted, coming in front of Bruner and pointedly not looking at the dark elf. He dipped in a curt bow, his rock-set expression giving no clues about which of Driz's suppositions might be accurate. Mithril? Bruner asked hopefully. Dagna seemed surprised by the blunt question. Yes, he said at length. The tunnel beyond the sealed door intercepted a whole new complex, rich in ore, from what we can tell. The legend of your gem-sniffing nose will continue to grow, me king. He dipped into another bow, this one even lower than the first. Knew it, Bruner whispered to Drizzt. Went down that way once, afore me beard even came out. Killed me a nettin'. But we have trouble, Dagna interrupted, his face still expressionless. Bruner waited, and waited some more for the tiresome dwarf to explain. Trouble? he finally asked, realizing that Dagna had paused for dramatic effect, and that the stubborn general probably would stand quietly for the remainder of the day if Bruner didn't offer that prompt. Goblins, Dagna offered ominously. Bruner snorted. Thought you said we had trouble. A fair-sized tribe, Dagna went on. Could be hundreds. Bruner looked up to Drizzt and recognized from the sparkle in the drow's lavender eyes that the news had not disturbed his friend any more than it had disturbed him. Hundreds of goblins, elf, Bruner said slyly. What do you think of that? Drizzt didn't reply. He just continued to smirk and let the gleam in his eyes speak for itself. Times had been uneventful since the retaking of Mithril Hall. The only metal ringing in the dwarven tunnels was the miner's pick and shovel and the craftsman's sledge, and the trails between Mithril Hall and Silvery Moon were rarely dangerous or adventurous to the skilled Drizzt. This news held particular interest for the drow. Drizzt was a ranger, dedicated to defending the good races, and he despised spindly-armed, foul-smelling goblins above all the other evil races in the world. Bruner led the two over to Regis's table, though every other table in the large hall was empty. Supper's done! The red-bearded king dwarf huffed, sweeping the plates from in front of the halfling to land, crashing on the floor. Go and get Wolfgar! Bruner growled into the halfling's dubious expression. You got a count of fifty to get back to me. Longer than that, and I'll put you on half rations. Regis was through the door in an instant. On Bruner's nod, Dagna pulled a hunk of coal from his pocket and sketched a rough map of the new region on the table, showing Bruner where they had encountered the goblin sign and where further scouting had indicated the main lair to be. Of particular interest to the two dwarves were the work tunnels in the region, with their even floors and squared walls. Good for surprising stupid goblins, Bruner explained to Drizzt with a wink. You knew the goblins were there. Drizzt accused him, realizing that Bruner was more thrilled and less surprised by the news of potential enemies than of potential riches. Figured there might be goblins, Bruner admitted. Seen him down there once, but with the coman of the dragon. Me father and his soldiers never got the time to clean the vermin out. Still, it was a long time ago, elf. The dwarf stroked his long red beard to accentuate the point. And I couldn't be sure they'd still be there. We are threatened, came a resonant baritone voice behind them. The seven-foot-tall barbarian moved to the table and leaned low to take in Dagna's diagram. Just goblins, Bruner replied. A call to war, 
Wolfgar roared, slapping Aegis Fang, the mighty warhammer Brunner had forged for him across his open palm. A call to play, Brunner corrected, and he exchanged a nod and chuckle with Drizzt. By me own eyes, don't you two seem eager to be killing? Caterbury, standing behind with Regis, put in. Bet on it, Brunner retorted. You found some goblins in their own hole, not to bother anybody, and you're planning for their slaughter. Caterbury went on in the face of her father's sarcasm. Woman, Wolfgar shouted. Driz's amused smile evaporated in the blink of an eye, replaced by an expression of amazement as he regarded the towering barbarian's scornful mane. Be glad for that, Caterbury answered lightly, without hesitation and without becoming distracted from the more important debate with Brunner. How do you know the goblins want to fight? She asked the king. Or do you care? There's mithril in those tunnels, Brunner replied, as if that would end the debate. Would that make it the goblins' mithril? Caterbury asked innocently. Rightfully? Not for long, Dagna interjected, but Brunner had no witty remarks to add, taken aback by his daughter's surprising line of somewhat incriminating questions. The fight's more important to you, to all of you, Caterbury went on, turning her knowing blue eyes to regard all four of the group, than any treasures to be found. You hunger for the excitement. You go after the goblins if the tunnels were no more than bare and worthless stone. Not me, Regis piped in, but nobody paid much attention. They are goblins, Driz said to her. Was it not a goblin raid that took your father's life? Aye, Caterbury agreed. And if ever I find that tribe, then be knowing that they'll be fallen in piles for their wicked deed. But are they akin to this tribe, a thousand miles or more away? Goblins is goblins, Brunner growled. Oh, Caterby replied, crossing her arms before her. And our drow, drow? What talk is this? Wolfgar demanded as he glowered at his soon-to-be bride. If you found a dark elf wander in your tunnels... Caterbury said to Brunner, ignoring Wolfgar altogether, even when he stormed over to stand right beside her. Would you draw up your plans and cut the creature down? Brunner gave an uncomfortable glance Driz's way, but Driz was smiling again, understanding where Caterbury's reasoning had led them, and where it had trapped the stubborn king. If you did cut him down, and if that drow was Driz to Arden, then who would you have beside you with the patience to sit and listen to your prideful boasts? The young woman finished. At least I'd kill you clean, Brunner, his blustery bubble popped, muttered to Drizzt. Drizzt's laughter came straight from his belly. Parley, he said at length. By the well-spoken words of our wise young friend, we must give the goblins at least a chance to explain their intentions. He paused and looked wistfully at Caterbury, his lavender eyes sparkling still, for he knew what to expect from goblins. "'before we cut them down.' "'Cleanly,' Brunner added. "'She knows nothing of this,' Wolfgar griped, "'bringing the tension back to the meeting in an instant. "'Drizd silenced him with a cold glare, "'as threatening a stare as had ever passed "'between the Dark Elf and the Barbarian. "'Caterbury looked from one to the other. "'Her expression pained. "'Then she tapped Regis on the shoulder, "'and together they left the room. "'We're going to talk to a bunch of goblins?' Dagna asked in disbelief. Oh, shut your mouth, Brunner answered, slamming his hands back to the table and studying the map once more. 
It took him several moments to realize that Wolfgar and Drizzt had not finished their silent exchange. Brunner recognized the confusion underlying Drizzt's stare, but in looking at the barbarian, he found no subtle undercurrents, no hint that this particular incident would easily be forgotten. Drizzt leaned back against the stone wall in the corridor outside Catterby's room. He'd come to talk to the young woman, to find out why she had been so concerned, so adamant in the conference about the goblin tribe. Canterbury had always brought a unique perspective to the trials facing the five companions. But this time, it seemed to Driz that something else was driving her, that something other than goblins had brought the fire to her speech. Leaning on the wall outside the door, the dark elf began to understand. "'You're not going,' Wolfgar was saying loudly. There will be a fight, despite your attempts to put it off. They are goblins. They'll take no parley with dwarves. If there's a fight, then you'll be wanting me there, Caterbury retorted. You are not going. Drizzt shook his head at the finality of Wolfgar's tone, thinking that never before had he heard Wolfgar speak this way. He changed his mind, though, remembering when he first met the young, rough barbarian, stubborn and proud, and talking nearly as stupidly as now. Drizzt was waiting for the barbarian when Wolfgar returned to his own room, the drow leaning against the wall casually, wrists resting against the angled hilts of his magical scimitars, and his forest-green cloak thrown back from his shoulders. "'Bruner sends for me?' Wolfgar asked, confused as to why Drizzt would be in his room. Drizzt pushed the door closed. I am not here for Brunner, he explained evenly. Wolfgar shrugged, not catching on. Welcome back, then, he said, and there was something strained in his greeting. Too oft you are out of the holes. Brunner desires your company. I am here for Caterbury, Drizzt interrupted. The barbarian's ice-blue eyes narrowed immediately, and he squared his broad shoulders, his strong jaw firm. I know she met with you he said, outside on the trails before you came in. A perplexed look crossed Drizzt's face as he recognized the hostility in Wolfgar's tone. Why would Wolfgar care if Caterbury had met with him? What in the Nine Hells was going on with his large friend? Regis told me, Wolfgar explained, apparently misunderstanding Drizzt's confusion. A superior look came into the barbarian's eye, as though he believed his secret information had given him some sort of advantage. Drizzt shook his head and brushed his thick white mane back from his face with slender fingers. I am not here because of a meeting on the trails, he said, or because of anything Caterbury had said to me, wrists still comfortably resting against the weapon hilts. Drizzt strolled across the wide room, stopping opposite the large bed from the barbarian. Whatever Caterbury does say to me, though, he had to add, is none of your affair. Wolfgar did not blink, but Driz could see that it took all of the barbarian's control to stop from leaping over the bed at him. Driz, who thought he knew Wolfgar well, could hardly believe the sight. How dare you? Wolfgar growled through gritted teeth. She is my... Dare I? Driz shot back. You speak of Caterbury as if she were your possession. I heard you tell her, no, command her to remain behind when we go to the goblins. You overstep your bounds, Wolfgar warned. You puff like a drunken orc, Drizzt returned, and he thought the analogy strangely fitting. Wolfgar took a deep breath, his great chest heaving, to steady himself. 
A single stride took him the length of the bed to the wall, near the hooks holding his magnificent warhammer. Once you were my teacher, Wolfgar said calmly. Ever was I your friend, Drizzt replied. Wolfgar snapped an angry glare on him. You speak to me like a father to a child. Beware, Drizzt Duarden. You are not the teacher any more. Drizzt nearly fell over, especially when Wolfgar, still eyeing him dangerously, pulled Aegis Fang, the mighty warhammer, from the wall. Are you the teacher now? the dark elf asked. Wolfgar nodded slowly, then blinked in surprise as the scimitar suddenly appeared in Drizzt's hands. Twinkle, the magical blade the wizard Malkor Harple had given Drizzt, glowed with a soft blue flame. Remember when we first met? the dark elf asked. He moved around the bottom of the bed wisely, since Wolfgar's longer reach would have given him a distinct advantage with the bed between them. Do you remember the many lessons we shared on Kelvin's Karn, looking out over the tundra and the campfires of your people? Wolfgar turned slowly, keeping the dangerous drow in front of him. The barbarian's knuckles whitened for a lack of blood as he tightly clutched his weapon. Remember the verbig? Drizzt asked, the thought bringing a smile to his face. You and I, fighting together, winning together against an entire lair of giants. And the dragon, icing death, Drizzt went on, holding his other scimitar, the one he had taken from the defeated worm's lair, up in front of him. I remember, Wolfgar replied quietly, calmly, and Drizzt started to slide his scimitars back into their sheaths, thinking he had sobered the young man. You speak of distant days, the barbarian roared suddenly, rushing forward with a speed and agility beyond what could be expected from so large of a man. He launched a roundhouse punch at Driz's face, clipping the surprised drow on the shoulder as Driz ducked. The ranger rolled with the blow, coming to his feet in the far corner of the room, the scimitars back in his hands. Time for another lesson he promised, his lavender eyes gleaming with an inner fire that the barbarian had seen many times before. Undaunted, Wolfgar came on, putting Aegis Fang through a series of feints before turning it down in an overhead chop that would have crushed the drow's skull. "'Has it been too long since we last saw battle?' Drizzt asked, thinking this whole incident a strange game, perhaps a ritual of manhood for the young barbarian." He brought his scimitars up in a blocking cross above him, easily catching the descending hammer. His legs nearly buckled under the sheer force of the blow. Wolfgar recoiled for a second strike. Always thinking of offense, Drizzt scolded, snapping the flat sides of his scimitars out, one, two, against the sides of Wolfgar's face. The barbarian fell back a step and wiped a thin line of blood from his cheek with the back of his hand. Still, he did not blink. My apology... Drizzt said when he saw the blood. I did not mean to cut. Wolfgar came over him in a rush, swinging wildly and calling out to Tempus, his god of battle. Drizzt sidestepped the first strike. It took out a fair-sized chunk from the stone wall beside him and stepped forward toward the warhammer, locking his arms around it to hold it in place. Wolfgar let go of the weapon with one hand, grabbed Drizzt by the front of his tunic and easily lifted him from the floor. The muscles on the barbarian's bare arm bulged as he pressed his arm straight ahead, crushing the drow against the wall. Driz could not believe the huge man's strength. He felt as if he would be pushed right through the stone and into the next chamber. At least, he hoped there was a next chamber. He kicked with one leg. Wolfgar ducked back, 
thinking the kick aimed for his face, but Drizzt hooked the leg over the barbarian's stiffened arm inside the elbow. Using the leg for leverage, Drizzt slammed his hand against the outside of Wolfgar's wrist, bending the arm and freeing him from the wall. He punched out with his scimitar hilt as he fell, connecting solidly on Wolfgar's nose, and let go of his lock on the barbarian's warhammer. Wolfgar's snarl sounded inhuman. He took up the hammer for a strike, but Drizzt had dropped to the floor by then. The drow rolled onto his back, planted his feet against the wall, and kicked out, slipping right between Wolfgar's widespread legs. Drizzt's foot snapped up once, stinging the barbarian's groin, and then, when he was behind Wolfgar, snapped both feet straight out, kicking the barbarian behind the knees. Wolfgar's legs buckled, and one of his knees slammed into the wall. Drizzt used the momentum to roll again. He came back to his feet and leaped, grabbing the overbalanced Wolfgar by the back of his hair and tucking hard, toppling the man like a cut tree. Wolfgar groaned and rolled, trying to get up, but Drizzt's scimitars came whipping in, hilts leading to connect heavily on the big man's jaw. Wolfgar laughed and slowly rose. Drizzt backed away. You are not the teacher, Wolfgar said again, but the line of blood-filled spittle rolling from the edge of his torn mouth weakened the claim considerably. What is this about? Drizzt demanded. Speak it now! Aegis Fang came hurling at him, end over end. Drizzt dove to the floor, narrowly avoiding the deadly hit. He winced when he heard the hammer hit the wall, no doubt blasting a clean hole in the stone. He was up again amazingly by the time the charging barbarian got anywhere near him. Drizzt ducked under the lumbering man's reach, spun, and kicked Wolfgar in the rump. Wolfgar roared and spun about, only to get hit again in the face with the flat of Drizzt's blade. This time, the line of blood was not so thin. As stubborn as any dwarf, Wolfgar launched another roundhouse punch. Your rage defeats you, Drizzt remarked as he easily avoided the blow. He couldn't believe that Wolfgar, so finely trained in the art, and it was an art, of battle, had lost his composure. Wolfgar growled and swung again, but recoiled immediately, for this time Drizzt put Twinkle, or more particularly, put Twinkle's razor-edge blade, in line to catch the blow. Wolfgar retracted the swing too late and clutched his bloodied hand. I know your warhammer will return to your grasp, Drizzt said, and Wolfgar seemed almost surprised, as though he'd forgotten the magical enchantment of his own weapon. Would you like to have fingers remaining so you might catch it? On cue, Aegis Fang came into the barbarian's grasp. Drizzt, stunned by the ridiculous tirade and tired of this whole episode, slipped his scimitars back into their sheaths. He stood barely four feet from the barbarian, well within Wolfgar's reach, with his hands out wide, defenseless. Somewhere in the fight, when he had realized that this was no game, perhaps, the gleam had flown from his lavender eyes. Wolfgar remained very still for a long moment and closed his eyes. To Drizzt, it seemed as if he was fighting some inner battle. He smiled, then opened his eyes and let the head of his mighty warhammer dip to the floor. My friend, he said to Drizzt, my teacher, it is good that you have returned. Wolfgar's hand reached out toward Drizzt's shoulder. His fist balled suddenly and shot for Drizzt's face. Drizzt spun, hooked Wolfgar's arm with his own, and pulled along the path of the barbarian's own momentum, sending Wolfgar headlong. Wolfgar got his other hand up in time to grab the drow, though, and took Drizzt along for the tumble. They came up together, propped side by side against the wall, and shared a heartfelt laugh.
For the first time since before the meeting in the dining hall, it seemed to Drizzt that he had his old fighting companion beside him again. Drizzt left soon after, not mentioning Caterbury again, not until he could sort out what exactly had just happened in the room. Drizzt at least understood the barbarian's confusion about the young woman. Wolfgar had come from a tribe dominated by men, where women spoke only when they were told to speak, as did their masters, the males, bade. It appeared as if, now that he and Catterby were to be wed, Wolfgar was finding it difficult to shake off the lessons of his youth. The thought disturbed Driz more than a little. He now understood the sadness he had detected in Catterby, out on the trails beyond the dwarven complex. He understood, too, Wolfgar's mounting folly. If the stubborn barbarian tried to quench the fires within Caterbury, he would take from her everything that had brought him to her in the first place, everything that he loved, that Drizzt, too, loved in the young woman. Drizzt dismissed that notion summarily. He had looked into her knowing blue eyes for a decade, had seen Caterbury turn her stubborn father in submissive circles. Neither Wolfgar nor Drizzt nor the gods themselves could quench the fires in Caterbury's eyes.